I want to be able to do is over the next few weeks, I want to be able to look at um, what we call catechisms. Now, catechisms are simply, the, the cat, word catechism just is a word that means to instruct. So it's a Greek word that means to teach. And so one of the things that used to happen in uh, biblical days is that basically they had a certain, uh, what I'm going to share with you tonight, they had a certain instruction um, document, I guess you could say. And it wasn't necessarily sacred scripture, but it was a document that the church used, kind of like basically what, what you get in a Sunday school book today. The only difference would be it would contain the, the, the major doctrines that they believed, the, the major instructions that we needed in order to live according to Christ. And so we're going to be able to look at, uh, and there are several catechisms out there. We've got some amber alerts going on. But I, I want to be able to show you that, um, that basically all I'm, all I'm doing over these next few weeks is I'm, I'm taking you back to a thing that they used to do in biblical days. They used to do it uh, back in the days of the Roman Catholic Church, but their doctrine got very far away from actual biblical doctrine. And then the Reformers in the 1500s, they started redeveloping catechisms, and they're basically, again, documents that just teach the church and teach Christians doctrine of, the, of what we believe, what the Bible teaches. And instead of having the entire Word of God to look at, it takes individual subjects and it does it in a question and answer format. format. And basically you can teach um, adults, they had a, what they called a larger catechism that included a lot of extra stuff for adults and ministers especially. And then they had shorter catechisms. And so as we look at these things, I'm not sure, quite sure yet if I'm going to be looking at a larger catechism or a shorter catechism. But I want to be able to, um, to at least bring it to your attention so that you can see um, the way that church uh, members used to be trained back in the day. Let me say it like that. Now, what I'm going to share with you tonight is actually one of the, what is considered to be probably one of the first catechisms ever developed. This uh, thing that, I'm sh that you have in your hands tonight is just a few of the first pages of it, but it is a, a document that is called the Didoche. And so, um, I, if I pronounce it Didache or Diaki or something like that, you know what I'm talking about. But the correct pronunciation is, I, I like to think of it like this. Um, uh, how'd you do? Well, I did okay. Uh, yeah, and so Didache, Didache, something like that is the correct pronunciation for it. But I'm a redneck, I'm a country boy, so there's no telling what to come out. Uh, but y'all know, know what it is because you have it in your hands. I'm also going to have a link to it because, again, I didn't print off. It's about um, 12 to 15 pages, if I remember right. I didn't try to print off the whole thing because half of you won't bring it back over the next few weeks. And so, basically, each week I'll just print off just the page that we're looking at or the two pages we're looking at. But tonight I didn't know how far we are going to get, so I went ahead and printed off the first few pages. Um, Huh? Yeah, 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 this is my wife's paper. I stole it from her this time. But, um, hey, John, would you take this to the couple on the back, very back row back there? You got them covered? Do y'all have one? They're working on it. Okay, all right. 
And so, um, and so we're going to be able to look at a few of those. I want to show you a few scriptures tonight to just show you how important I believe catechisms are. And so look with me, if you would, at Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. I want you to notice that Paul instructs us here, or he instructs the Colossian church, which would apply to us as well. He says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so we're required to continue in the faith Stable and steadfast. That means there is a path that you and I are supposed to be walking, right? And we need to stay in this path, both stable... What does it mean to be stable? You're not, you're not in and out of the path, right? You're staying and you're walking this line where you're supposed to be walking. And you are stable and you are steadfast in it. You persevere in it. You continue in it all the way to the end. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13 through 14. Ephesians 4. Verse 13 through 14. He's talking about the church here, why we have preachers and teachers and shepherds and, and prophets. And he says here in verse 12, that it is, or in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, or in other words, we hold the faith, the same doctrines of faith in common, we have a unity of it, and until we have the knowledge of the Son of God, until we reach a mature manhood, until we reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then verse 14, So that we may no longer be children tossed and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful scheme. So again, the point is this. There are scripture after scripture that Paul is very clear that there is a certain doctrine, there is a certain path that we're supposed to be following, there's a certain knowledge that we're supposed to be attaining to, there's a certain maturity that we're supposed to be reaching. And so it's important that we understand that as Christians, we're not just here just to raise our hands, pray some prayers, and sing some songs. We're here to learn how to walk this path to follow Him, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm here to learn doctrine. I'm here to learn what does the truth of Scripture teach me so that I can model my life after it, alright? And so we need 
some type of instruction. We need some kind of path to be able to teach us. Now what we have here in the uh, Didache, what we have here in this is again, this is the first, this is the oldest manuscript that we know of right now as far as the New Testament is concerned. Let me say that. So this this uh, document dates back to somewhere in the, the first, the end of the first, middle to the end of the first century, maybe into the beginning of the second century. They're not sure, but it is a very, very early document. This document, they believe, predates possibly even any of Paul's letters to the churches. They believe this document poss- possibly um, predates all of the Gospels uh, because. They, they, they believed that this was developed out of an oral tradition, that they knew what Jesus had taught, and this was the first document, and it's called a teaching. If you'll notice on the, second, or on the, the first page of it there, this is the teaching of the twelve apostles to the nations. And that's basically what Didache means. It means teaching. It's an instruction booklet. And so they never considered this to be inspired sacred scripture, that had been handed down from from God directly to a man, but instead this was the teaching that the apostles were teaching to the nations. That means the Gentiles. And so ultimately, this is a good document for you and I. The reason I say that is because the Jewish people were trying to figure out how do we follow what they called in this day and time the way They didn't call them Christians, they called it the way because it was another way of Judaism is what they they were saying it. And it was following Jesus the Jew who has come to, to be the Savior of the world. And so this was a document that gave instructions to not just Jews but also to Gentile people of how we're going to continue to walk the walk of Christ, to be disciples of Christ and it is instructions from the twelve apostles on how they were going to accomplish this. And so that was just a few things that, that it, um, it a few reasons why it was given and why the reason it was handed out to the churches. Another thing that I think is important about this document is that it is arguing about two ways. If you'll notice on the second page of the document that I gave you, the way that the, the apostles introduced this is they say, There are two paths, one of life and one of death. Now this is the same thing that Moses told the Jews back in Deuteronomy. He told them, I lay before you two choices today, life and death. But choose life, don't choose death. If you choose life, this is the way you will walk and this is the way it will look. If you choose death, this is the way you will walk and this is how it will look and this will be the outcome of it. Well, in a similar manner, here we have the apostles coming out at the beginning of the New Covenant, and they start out sort of the same way. I lay before you two paths. One path is a way of life. One path is a way of death. But there is a great difference between these two ways. In other words, as a Christian, you are not just going to walk like the rest of the world and be walking in the path of life. You have to choose that there is a path for you to follow. And the path is narrow that leads to life. But the path is wide that leads to destruction. Now this, again, I don't want to confuse you because I'm not trying to be a works-based preacher. 
I believe in salvation by faith alone. Nothing else. However, I believe the Bible is clear that faith without a lifestyle of works that follows it is what? It is dead faith. And so I want to make sure you understand that if you genuinely have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then your life should follow that path. How do we know that Noah believed God, that Noah had faith in God, that a flood was coming and that God was going to save him? How do we know? He had works that followed the direction of his faith. He believed God and his lifestyle that came after that was evident of the fact that he believed God. That's the difference I'm trying to make to you. So yes, I am preaching works. I absolutely am. But I am preaching works as a result of faith. Okay? Are y'all with me? Alright, and so this is what we're going to be looking at tonight. We're going to be looking at two ways. One way of life and one way of death. And there is a major difference between these two ways. Another thing that I see in here is that um, it says the longer name of the Didache is the teaching of the twelve apostles. The even fuller title says the teaching of the Lord to the Gentiles by the twelve apostles. And so this is a teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are His words. This is His teaching to the nations, to the Gentiles, and it's being delivered by the apostles. And you will remember that the apostles were uh, given the mission of laying the foundation of the church, right? With Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, and then they teach disciples to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And so they lay the building of Jesus Christ by teaching the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And that's what we have in this Didache right here. Um, it says, although it wasn't included in the biblical canon, it was still considered a Christian manual or a set of particular teachings that was indeed accepted as accurate by the early churches. It was used often by the early churches and it was quoted even by the early church fathers. And so you can go back to the 2nd and 3rd century church fathers and you can find their writings and their documents today and they actually make quotes from this document right here. Now what's interesting about this document I gave you is that it was lost somewhere around the 4th century, 5th century, somewhere around in there, it was lost. And it was not recovered again until the mid-19th century. And so in Jerusalem, they found this document in its fullness in its wholeness, stuffed into an old library somewhere, and they found this document, and the only reason they knew about it is because the church fathers quoted it. So they still had all these books of the church fathers that were quoting this Didache, this teaching of the apostles, but they never had it. And then somewhere around the 19th century, this document is found, and everybody goes, okay, well this is what they were quoting. This is where they were coming from. And so today we have this document in our possession. So again, I'm not teaching this as if I'm telling you that this is Holy Spirit inspired. It was delivered directly from God to an, a prophet or an apostle and now it is considered sacred scripture today. No, I'm telling you this was an instruction manual that they sent out to Gentile churches to show them the way that a Christian is supposed to walk. This is the life that you should live. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, 
this is what it should look like, and this is what you should do. And I think that's an important thing to study. Um, so I love it. Again, it's so interesting to me because this is a document that the early, early church used, and for centuries it was lost. And now we have this again today that has been found. And so I think it's very interesting just to take it and just look at it, just study it. I'm not telling you that everything we see in it, I don't know if it is or not, but I'm not telling you that we're going to say, okay, if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, then we're going to take what, whatever contradicts this and we're going to throw it out. Because this is what God has given us to be, His Holy Spirit and Spirit, His Holy Spirit-inspired Word, sacred Scripture. But at the same time, this is one of the oldest documents that we have that predates the majority of all the New Testament. The only thing that they think might have been before this document is the Gospel of Matthew because there is so much that is very similar from the teachings that Matthew records and the teachings that the Didache records. Or they believe that possibly... James, the brother of Jesus, may have been the author of this document right here, but they don't know for certain. But there are some things that he says in here that James includes in his letter. And so either it just happened to have been that James had influence with it, and that's how the teachings, or Matthew and James. And there are many people today that believe that James may actually be the oldest letter in the New Testament even predating the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, but um, again, there is some dispute over that. But still, it's just interesting to me that this document here was out before the majority of your New Testament was ever out. And this, in a sense, you could almost say this would have been uh, the first Sunday school. <laughs> the first Sunday school that the early church ever did. And so... That, that's important things that just um, encourages me to take a look at it and be able to see it. So, turn to the first, um, first chapter, page 1 of the document I gave you. Chapter 1, the two ways and the first commandment. It says, there are two ways, one of life and one of death. But there is a great difference between the two ways. The way of life then is this. So here's the way of life in summary form. First, you shall love God who made you. That's the, the number one rule. You remember whenever the Pharisee came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? You remember it was a trap. They wanted to see what he would actually say. And he said, Well, the greatest commandment is... Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all their heart, soul, and all thy strength. And the second greatest commandment is like it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And you remember what he said after that? On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. So in other words, if you could keep those two things perfectly, if you could love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and if you could love your neighbor as yourself, you could be perfect in all of your ways. Now what's the problem with that? We're sinners. We don't do it. <laughs> right? 
And so he says here that this is the way of life. You love your God who made you, and second, love your neighbor as yourself, and do not do to one another what you would not want done to you. Now this is one reason, just one reason out of many, that they believe this manual actually predates Matthew. Because Matthew actually says it in his gospel in the positive. He says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. These authors say the same thing, but they state it in the negative. They say, do not do unto others what you would not want them to do unto you. And so they believe that, again, that this was, this was possibly something that predated Matthew, and that's just one little clue that they pick on, that they pick up, that they believe that. But then it says, And of these sayings, the teaching is this. And so in other words, that's the summary of it, right? The summary of it is, Love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But here is the teaching of it. Of all these sayings, here's the teachings. Bless those who curse you and pray for your enemies and fast for those who persecute you. Now that's a pretty important thing because again, Matthew does detail the first two things. Matthew says, bless those... He records that Jesus said, bless those who curse you, right? So in other words, if you are going to fulfill the way of life, If you are going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and you are going to love your neighbor as yourself, here's what you need to do in order to walk this path. And what's the first one? What have you got to do? What does it mean to bless those that curse you? All right, well, that's next. That's right. Put goodness upon somebody that puts badness upon you. That's a good way to put it. So when somebody puts badness upon you, what do we typically do? But if you are going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you are going to love your neighbor as yourself, and you are going to do unto others as you would have them do unto you, then here is the first instruction that you need to start following. You need to start following God by faith, following Christ, and see that this is what Jesus did. He blessed those who cursed Him. When bad comes our way, we bless. And that's difficult, ain't it? That's difficult. It takes faith. We have to believe God. We have to believe that there is going to be a great reward for following this path, right? And if we do not believe that, then we are not likely going to follow this path. So if we're going to walk in faith, a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, the first thing he's going to do to fulfill the way of life is he's not going to give bad to those that treat him badly. He's going to give good to those that treat him badly. And that is a tough thing to do. You have to make a decision to do that. And I can tell you this because I have had to do it many times in my life. And I'm thankful for that. I remember me and Chastity... um, you know, I've told y'all this story, so I'm not going to tell the whole story, but we adopted a little baby boy a long time ago. We were in the process. Well, it was pretty much final at the end of it. 
we were just waiting on the paperwork to finish up. But we had already brought the child home from the hospital. We, were, um, we couldn't cross state lines yet because it was an Alabama baby and we had to live in a camper in Florence, Alabama trying until everything was done. But this girl sought us out. We didn't seek her out. We didn't look for her. She heard that through uh, some of our church members that, that, uh, that we might be interested in adopting. And so she wanted to meet with us. So we said, okay, we'll meet with you. And so we went through all of her doctor's visits. We did everything with her all the way up to this whole journey with her. We were at the hospital with her when she had the baby. We carried the baby home from the hospital, kept the baby for however long it was, three weeks, I guess it was. And, um, and then one night we couldn't get a hold of her. And we just knew deep down something's not right. And I finally got a hold of her and she just basically said, you know, I can't do this. I can't do it. And we were devastated. We were broken. And I can remember that night I thought to myself, because we had been through this whole journey, this whole journey of this thing. Uh, and uh, yeah, not, to, not just the money, but yeah, a lot of money and a lot of emotion. A lot of emotion. This child had our name. Probably still does to this day have our name, unless she's went and changed it. And so we, we went through this whole thing. And I remember that night, I, I didn't have a handgun at the time, and I remember that night I was looking at a handgun, but I didn't go buy it. And I remember I told somebody, it may have been Chastity, it may have been Chris Pope or somebody, I said, you know, I thank God I didn't buy that handgun because I'd kill her. That's where I was at in my heart. I thank God I didn't buy this handgun because I'd kill her because we begged her before we left the hospital. We said, young lady, if, uh, we understand that things change when you lay eyes on a child. If you're going to change your mind, we're okay with that. We, we're okay with that. I said, but do not let us leave this hospital with this child. Don't let us leave this hospital with this child uh, unless you have made up your mind and you know that this... And she said, yes, I'm, I'm, I've got to do this. I can't raise the child. And so anyway, long story short, I remember after some time with the Lord, I had to make a decision over whether or not I was going to follow Christ or I was going to just stay angry and be mad. And so I can remember that um, I called the young lady up and I told her, I said, ma'am, I said, I, I want you to know that I can't imagine what you're feeling. I said, we didn't get into this thing to take someone's child away from them that wanted to raise their child. I want you to know that I forgive you. I want you to know that if there is anything that we can ever do to help you, we're here. We will still continue to help you through this, whatever you need. But I had to make a decision to do that. And it was completely contrary to what my heart felt. Are y'all tracking with me? I'm not telling you this to make you think that I'm some great Christian because I can tell you another story where I didn't follow that path, okay? But I'm just using that as an example of telling you that sometimes you go through things that your heart is hurt and you feel a certain way. But you have to make a decision that I trust Jesus with every area of my life. And what I'm going to do is even though I have been cursed, I am going to give blessing. Are y'all tracking with me? And this is what the first step of the way of life. If you're going to love the Lord and you're going to be like the Lord, then Matthew teaches us and the Didache teaches us right here that you're going to have to be one that blesses those who curse you. And then not only that, look what he says next, and you're one of those that prays 
for your enemies. Your enemies. So you're praying for your enemies. You're praying for their deliverance. You're praying for their salvation. You're not praying that, that they'll get run over by a train. You're not praying that they'll get hit by a truck or shot in the ghetto. You're, you are praying for their well-being. You're praying for their, for their deliverance, for their salvation, just like you have received. And then, la- go ahead. That's right. So again, you have to make the choice, right? I'm going to overcome evil with good. Now, how am I going to do that? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, because I can't do it in, in and of myself. But if I'm walking in faith, if I'm trusting the Lord with my life, if I'm following Him by faith, then I am going to make a conscience choice that I'm going to bless those that curse me. I'm going to pray for my enemies. And I am going to, lastly, I'm going to fast for those who persecute you. Now again, this is not added to Matthew. This is not something you see in the other Gospels. This is something that actually predates this. And, and you're going to see some areas in this where they actually evolved in their teaching a little bit. For instance, if eating food sacrificed to idols, this strictly forbids it, the same way that James and the apostles did in Acts chapter 15 and 16. But then Paul, as he starts seeing a way to continue to show love, he says, okay, we know that an idol is not anything. <laughs> so you're not any better if you eat the meat, and you're not any better if you don't eat it. So he says, here's what you do. Make sure you're thinking about the mind and the conscience of your brother. Don't eat it if it's going to make him stumble. But if it's not going to make him stumble and you know that an idol is nothing, then guess what? Eat the food. Eat the food. And so ultimately, make sure that you understand where you are. So again, their teaching evolved as far as how we walk in this way and stay true. They're not trying to give us another set of commandments to say, do this, don't do this, and do this, and as long as you walk this line, then you'll be saved. That's not what they're doing. They're showing you what the way of the Christian life looks like. And it's summed up by this. You do everything that shows love to your God. And you do everything that shows that you love your neighbor even as yourself. And as long as you're doing those two things, you're walking in the way. But these are some practical applications of what that would look like. Bless those who curse you. Bless them. Don't do evil toward them. Overcome evil by doing good toward them. And then pray for your enemies. And then fast for those who persecute you. And we're going to talk about fasting a little bit more beginning this Sunday, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it tonight. But you get the gist of it. Now what's that next word there? After fast for those who persecute you, what? For. So what does that tell you about, what is this statement fixing to give you? It's fixing to give you the reason why you should do these things, right? Here's why you should do this. For what reward is there for loving those who love you? In other words, if you only love people who love you, then are you you really doing anything for the Lord? No, because even sinners love those who love them, do they not? 
And so He's calling you to be completely different from what the rest of the world is. The world doesn't care about loving God with all their heart, soul, and strength, right? The world don't care about loving their neighbor as themselves. The world only cares about themselves. That's it. And so He says, if you will follow this way, then there is a reward. But if you won't do this, then what reward can you expect? If you think that because I believe in Jesus, yet I live my life doing evil to those who do evil to me, I don't make choices to pray for my enemies, I don't make choices to sacrifice and fast for those that are against me, that persecute me, then what reward could you, expo- could you possibly expect to get? None. Because what have you done? Nothing. Even the world does that. And so look what he says next. Do not the Gentiles do the same? And here the Gentiles would be people that don't follow the Lord, right? People that don't have the law of Christ. But instead, love those who hate you, and you shall not have an enemy. Now he's not saying people are not going to persecute. He's not going to say people are not going to curse. But the fact of the matter is, as far as you're concerned, you're not going to have an enemy because you love those. You love everybody. If they do evil to you, you love them. If they curse you, you bless them. And that's a high calling, is it not? And the reason I think this is important is because there's so many Christians today that really believe that we can name the name of Christ and follow Christ, and yet we don't do any of this. We're not worried about it. If somebody smacks me, you know what I'm going to do? That's right. Mm-hmm. You knock my tooth out, I'm going to knock two of yours out. I mean, that's just the way we think. And you know, we have to understand that that is not the way. Are y'all, are y'all following me? If that is your way, you're following the way of death, not the way of life. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And if we're not seeing Christ in us, and we're not making decisions that are following Christ, then can we actually believe that we're disciples of Jesus? I don't think we can. I think we have to examine ourselves, and maybe if we repent and we get back in the path, then yeah. But there are too many Christians today, too many, that walk the walk of whatever they want to do, whatever their heart desires, That's what they follow. And I'm telling you today, they are going to be sorely mistaken, I believe, when they stand before God in judgment one day. And God says, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. And you remember what they say back to Him? But Lord, Lord, did we not do this and do this and do this? In other words, they were talking about casting out demons, raising the dead. They were talking about all these great miraculous things they were doing. And he said, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. In other words, you didn't follow my path. You didn't follow me. You were not a disciple of mine. You never came out of darkness into the light. And as a result of that, you cannot expect that there would be any reward for this. So he says next, Abstain from fleshly and worldly lusts. And this is the same thing that Peter taught in 1 Peter chapter 2.11. So we have the teachings of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew. And now we have Peter 
teaching that we should abstain from all fleshly and worldly lust. So if we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves, we're going to bless those and we're going to pray for them, we're going to fast for them. And now if we're going to continue to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, we're going to abstain, we're going to fight the flesh, we're going to abstain from fleshly lust and from worldly lust. Somebody tell me, what, would, um, what are fleshly and worldly lusts? Huh? Okay, that's right. So things that the flesh desires will be fleshly lust, right? And then things that the flesh desires in the world as far as material things. and So you, that's what he's getting at, is anything that doesn't glorify God in your life, you have to make a choice to abstain from those things. And that's a fight, is it not? It's a fight. You have to choose that I am going to stay in this path. And this is the reason why when Paul got to the end of his life, he said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. So following Christ is like fighting a fight. And you're fighting that fight with your sinful self. Following Christ is like running a race. And it takes strenuous activity and you get out of breath and you get tired. But if you keep running, you win. If you keep fighting, you can't lose. And then he says, and finally, because I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race, finally, there's a reward waiting for me, and it's waiting for all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ and His appearing. And so there has to be a life that is evident that I look to the reward of Jesus Christ, and that I look to Him, and that I follow Him, and that I make choices to abstain from fleshly and worldly lust. And next he says, If someone strikes your right cheek, turn to him the other also, and you shall be perfect. So in other words, if you want to be perfect, <laughs> yes, we're going to do it as far as the righteousness of Jesus applied to us, period. But in the same way, if you want to be a perfect Christian, then when He strikes you on this cheek, then you turn the other one and you give it also. And again, this is not easy, is it? We have to make a choice to do that. This is why Peter was so conflicted whenever he was in the garden and they were coming to arrest Jesus and Peter drew his sword and he cut the servant's ear off. And Jesus said, no. No, put your sword away. And I'm sure Peter was sitting there going, what do, you, what do you mean? We're just going to sit there and let them come and do? And at the end of the day, Jesus was saying, this was the will of God. This is the way that we're going to go. And yes, we're going to turn the other cheek. And so I truly believe that we're called to be in the same way, just like Jesus. And when someone strikes us, and this is a tough teaching. Because again, this is not the way today's Christian world sees it. Most so-called Christians do not practice these things. You understand that? I wish I could give you some examples, but I can't. Because it's people in the church. So I can't give you examples. Oh Lord. <laughs> Alright, give me one. Yeah. I sat on the stump with a gun. 
Yeah. And then as folks start to read it, it's so important to know a little bit about the Bible, because I know just a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I do not know that scripture. And I, and I, I'd almost get mad at God. I'd say, come on, God, I've got it. And, and I think with it on the head, it's just mine, says the Lord, I shall be faithful. Right. You trusted him. You let him have it. Right. Yeah. And you know, that's again, that's a choice that you had to make. You had to make that choice. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and without telling you any details at all, you know, I've got I've had situations before to where things happen, and then I've had comments that were made. Well, one of us is going to have to leave the church. We can't continue to go to church together, and we can't do this, and we can't do that. And in the back of my mind, I know they're not there yet, but I'm thinking to myself, why not? That's the very decisions that sometimes we have to make. That we forgive those that wrong us, that we bless those that curse us. that we And that's tough, is it not? Very tough. But I'm telling you, what reward do you have and how, and how can you say I fought a good fight if you don't have to do things that are difficult? And if it were not for those people, how can we exercise our faith? That's exactly right. Right. You better believe it. But that's where we get to exercise. Yep. Right, that's right. And that's the reason why the majority of the scriptures of the New Testament, the apostles taught things like be humble, be long-suffering, be gentle, be kind, be forgiving. Those are things that we are called to do because that's the only way that you're actually going to practice being like Christ. And unfortunately, we're dealing with sinners. And so we are going to offend each other. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to disappoint each other. But to follow Christ would mean that instead of trying to smack them back, we bless them, we pray for them. And those are choices that you and I have to make. I'm really trying to get our church to a high calling of discipleship this year. That's, uh, my focus of, of my teaching is going to be toward ways that you can apply to your life that you're actually following the Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of people are going to quit. Can I be honest with you? Because a lot of people don't want to follow this path. They think they do until it's actually difficult. 
And then when they actually have to make that decision, they can't do it. They can't do it. And so what I want to be able to do is make sure that we're not just a church that's just going through the motions and doing the routine. I want to make sure that we're actually looking at what the Lord Jesus teaches us and we are actually applying it to our lives. That we can say with the Apostle Paul, I'm fighting a good fight. I am running a good race and I'm going to finish it. And finally, when, it, when this life is over, finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. You know, I'm learning to really pray that prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. I really am. I, now, I still am not there yet to where I really get it. But I'm at least in a mindset now to where I get it that I really am just a stranger here. I really am a pilgrim just passing through. And it is going to be over with so quickly. Ain't it, Mima? But one day soon it will be. Yeah. <laughs> Praise God for that. But I know one day it's going to be just as quick for me. Or for you. I may beat Mima out of here. That's just the truth of it. And if I do, it's okay. It's okay. But we got this amount of time to fight a good fight, to run a good race. And I'm trying to make sure that we are serious about doing that, that we're doing everything we can to do it. So he says here, If someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also, and you shall be perfect. If someone impresses you for one mile, go with him two miles. And these are all the teachings of Jesus. This is just, again, they believe that these were before there were written uh, the, before the written Bible, basically this was their oral translation. This was basically what Jesus had taught and this was what they were teaching as a result of that. And so they're just saying the same thing He said. If someone impresses you for one mile, go with them too. And this was something very common. I don't really remember a lot of the context, but it was common for a Roman soldier in this day and time to stop at your house and force you, no matter what, because they were the ruling power, you would have to take care of their horse, feed them, and then you would have to help them to make sure that they get the next mile down the road. And basically he's saying, if somebody comes and forces you, the enemy comes to force you to go a mile with them, don't just go one mile. Do, what do you do? Do even more than what they're trying to force you to do. When that enemy comes, and, 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 and don't rebel against them. You in every way show love toward God and show love toward your neighbor. You do to every neighbor what you would have them do unto you. And then you do even more. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did. And then He says, if someone takes your cloak, give him also your coat. If someone takes from you what is yours, ask it not back. For indeed, you are not able... Give to everyone who asks you, and ask it not back. Why? For the Father wills that all should be given of our own blessings. In other words, what God has blessed you with, if you're able to bless somebody else with it, then what should you do? Bless them with it. Bless them with it. That's a good way to fight off greed. Because how many of you know that 
that in our hearts, whenever there's somebody that needs, even when they need something, a lot of times our heart's going, ah, I just really can't do it. Oh, man, I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got to think about this, and there's a million reasons why I shouldn't do this. That's right, and that's one thing he said right there, ain't it? He said, for God wills that all should be given out of our own blessings, our free gifts. In other words, you are not the end of God's blessing. You are only a piece of conduit that His blessing runs through to bless the world. That's all you are. That's right. The breath you got from Him, the strength you got from Him, the the job you got from Him, He's provided everything you have. That's right. That's right. And so again, a Christian... That's right. Mm -hmm. I work for this. I did this. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so He says here that this is the way you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. You're going to give to everyone who asks you and ask it not back. You're not even worried about it coming back. Give to everyone who asks. And then the Father wills that all should be given of our own blessings. And then He says, Happy is he who gives according to the commandment, for he is guiltless. So in other words, when you give that away, you're a happy man. You're a happy man. Because... You, you're guiltless of greed. You're guiltless of, of, of storing up treasures on this earth. You, you, you have one focus, and that's loving your fellow man. And again, is this where we currently are right now? Are you here? Most, most people in our culture can't say that this is your heart, that this is where you are. And so this is something that we've really got to look at and understand. This is what it would look like to actually be perfect in Loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. But, look at this warning next. Woe to him who receives. So here he focuses on the, not the giver, but the receiver. There's a warning here to the ones that is asking you for something. Look what he says. Woe to him who receives. For if one receives who has need, then he's guiltless. If, you really have, if somebody really has need, you're supposed to give to them no matter what, right? Just just give to them. And then he says, but the one that's receiving, you better be careful. If you actually have need, then you're guiltless. But look what he says next. But he who receives not having need shall pay the penalty. Why he received and for what? In other words, God's going to hold them accountable. This was his blessing, right? This was his free gift. And now you have to be held accountable for why you were the one that was asking to be given to, to begin with. So this is important. But then he says, And coming into confinement, he shall be examined concerning the things which he has done, and he shall not escape from there until he pays back the last penny. In other words, again, God is going to hold you accountable for your heart, for your sinful actions, for your greed, and for the things that you do that are right, or the things that you do that are wrong. And also concerning this, it has been said, Let your alms sweat in your hands until you know to whom you should give. What do you think he's saying in all that right there? That's right. 
So again, he's, so he, he's making it very clear that I'm not just telling you to just give everything you have away. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you that, yeah, it's okay to let your alms sweat in your hands until you know, but as much as is possible with you, you should have a heart that loves God and loves your neighbor so much that your desire is not, I'm looking for a reason why I shouldn't give to them, but I'm looking for every reason why I can, unless I see a reason why I shouldn't. You see what I'm saying? And that's the difference in us today. The difference in us today is when a need comes our way, you've got to present to me a hundred reasons why I should do it. And if I find a half of a reason why I shouldn't, guess what? And so that's just the opposite of what He's calling us to do. Our heart should be a heart that says, nothing I have really belongs to me anyway. And so if I can bless somebody with this, then so be it. And I'm going to look for opportunities and ways that I can help you, and that I can bless you. But if it's not good for me to help you and bless you in that way, then guess what? I'm not going to do it. And I shouldn't do it. So that, that is the first page of the first commandment, the first way of life. Now we move over into the second. And we're not going to get very far into it, but I want you to notice that All right. Right. But a second later, and I told the Sunday school class, if the Holy Spirit would let me know, we take them to Woodward. Right. And I said, no, I will see if you can get money back. And, yeah. Uh, and, and everything was okay. But that's, that's, again, that's the point is that <clears throat> it would have been easy to follow the flesh and say, okay, well, here's, here's what I'm, and, and justify it. But instead, you, you followed what you felt like the Spirit would tell you to do, and you went the other direction. Yeah. <clears throat> right. That's right. 
Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, look, look, I'm just going to read through this. Through, I just want to get to one part, and we're going to take this apart next week so that you can see. But notice that this is the second commandment. Now, the first was the golden rule. That was the first commandment. The golden rule and loving God with all your heart. All right? The second commandment, again, is this right here. And the second commandment of the teaching is this. You shall not commit murder... So here we're talking about the moral part of God's law. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Notice what he says next. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit pederasty. And that's basically uh, pedophilia is what we'd have today. This was very common in Gentile, in the Greeks back then. There's a lot of art of men having relations with younger boys. And so this is something that, that he addresses very plainly that Christ is not okay with this. And then he says, you shall not commit fornication, you shall not steal, you shall not practice magic, you shall not practice witchcraft. And then notice this next part. This was interesting to me. You shall not what? A child by how? Nor kill that which is born. And again, it was common back then for them to do abortions. And it was also common for them to kill the child even after it exited a womb. Something we're about to get into in our culture today. Slowly progressing that, or I say progressing, degressing that way, right? It's interesting to me that the oldest Christian document actually lays this out in plain terms. And again, you can go back and read this document in the original Greek that it's in. And you can see that this is exactly what it's talking about. Murdering a child by abortion, nor killing that which is born. That was important to me. So next week we're going to tear that apart and we're going to look at another path of uh, the way of life and the, what it looks like to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in practical areas of our life. Any questions tonight? I encourage you to go home and... Um, and you can look this up for yourself. We're going to put a, um, I think Nathan said he's going to try to put a copy of it on our Facebook page. And maybe uh, we may try to send a text message out with a link. Oh, okay. He's, he's already ahead of me. So you can see the whole thing there. But, yeah. But, um, you know, this is, go back and do your research on this. This is very, there are so many good historical documents to go back and study and read. There's the Acts of the Apostles. There is, there's a lot of uh, apocryphal books that you could go back and, and, and read. And I'm not telling you to go read them as if they are Holy Spirit-inspired scriptures. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of interesting things out there that are beneficial to us in our Christian walk. And so this is just one. And the reason I wanted to examine this one is because we're going into catechisms. <laughs> And this has been considered the oldest catechism of, um, of basically the Christian faith. As, yeah, so if you need... And again, it's just the first four or five pages of it. So there's, there's a lot more to it than this. But look it up. Do your own research on it so that you see um, um, the history behind it. Uh, again, if you want to look it up in the Greek, you can find it in the Greek. I, I've ordered a book on it just the other day, a hardcover book, if anybody wants a commentary on this um, uh, Didache. I keep wanting to say Diache, but um, it's, it's interesting. That's all I'm saying. I hope you find it as interesting 
as I find it. And um, we'll go through this. After we get through this, take us a few Wednesday nights to get through it. After we get through it, I'd like to get into the either the Heidelberg Catechism or the Baptist Catechism. We have done the Baptist Catechism before here. Um, I would really like, it's been, what, years ago when we did that. It's been a long time. Yeah, I would like to get into the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, it is a very personal document, and um, I think that you'd get a lot out of that, um, that teaching document as well. So, It is quite a bit different. I mean, the doctrines are the same. Look it up tonight and look at the difference in just the first two questions. Heidelberg Catechism, you'll, you'll like it. It's, it's interesting. Good. Right. Yeah. The Heidelberg and the Westminster Catechisms are both uh, more uh, Presbyterian focused, and so it's more the baptism parts would be more focused toward child baptism instead of believer's baptism. But when we get to that part, we'll use the scriptures to see where we stand on it. Uh, the Baptist Catechism lines right up with us, which of course we're, we're Baptists, but, um, but I think that you will, I, I think you'll enjoy it. I got J.O. back there tapping on her watch, so I'm fixing to have to go. Fagan knows. All right. Any, any questions before we close? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I want to thank you so much for, um, uh, Lord, your word. And Lord, I thank you for these uh, teaching documents, Father, that are uh, so old and yet still with us today. And Father, I just pray, God, that... Um, uh, Lord, you would show us what you mean for us to get from it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk the way of life, to, to follow our faith and to, to be a disciple of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I just pray, God, that, um, uh, Lord, that you would just keep leading us through our studies on Wednesday nights. Father, I want to make disciples here. And Father, I know that's your desire. I know that's your will. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to accomplish that, that you would um, uh, just teach us how to apply these things to our life, Father. And Lord, I just thank you for this family. Thank you for their hearts to be here tonight to seek you in your word. Father, I pray you would bless them for it. Father, keep us safe on our way home and bring us back together Sunday if it be your will. Lord, we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.